You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. Once you get established, you're in a position then to give back to the community. And I think that our young people need people to talk to them about living their lives, okay, about taking care of themselves. And we need to set examples. And what better way than to have athletes do it? That's three-time Basketball Hall of Fame inductee Lenny Wilkins, whose charitable work in Seattle is the focus of today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff Shulman, a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast gives you a behind-the-scenes look at the life and impact off the court of the first coach to deliver Seattle a professional sports championship on the court. You'll hear from Lenny Wilkins about his upbringing and his motivation to help his community. You'll also hear from Dr. Ben Danielson of the Odessa Brown Clinic. He'll share personal stories of how Lenny Wilkins has affected his life and the lives of the children he serves. Today's episode continues our exploration of what a return of the Sonics could mean to the city of Seattle. But much more than that, it provides a story of the difference one person can make in the lives around him or her. A story that will hopefully inspire others in our community. Seattle is in the midst of a cultural and physical transformation. As evidence of the city's dramatic growth, three organizations are competing to invest roughly half a billion dollars into a sports and entertainment arena. Seattle is clearly on the world stage, but it does not have an NBA franchise almost 10 years after the Sonics left town for Oklahoma City. In last week's episode, Exploring What a Return of the Sonics Would Mean to Seattle, we explored how players as citizens can and have contributed to the local community. You heard from Detlef Shrimp Foundation Executive Director Nicole Morrison. People knew Detlef as an athlete and then grew to know him as a philanthropist and made a huge impact on the Seattle community and a little bit beyond that. You heard from three-time NBA All-Star Detlef Schrempf, who led the Sonics to the 1996 NBA Finals. If you're able to give a little time and expose people that don't have whatever you might have or could be taking somebody to a game or something, you know, that they don't have access to, it opens up uh, avenues and it opens up hope. That, to me, is huge. And you heard from Lauren Henry, whose life was impacted by Detlef Schrempf's community work. Detlef has been an amazing model, at least for Rise and Shine, because, again, he's one person, but his foundation is such an example of what can be done from one person. I hope that's inspiring, and I hope that that's reason enough to at least engage in one city. This week, we continue to explore the capacity of athletes to serve as positive role models, mentors, and contributors to the well-being of a community. Before we get to my interview with Lenny Wilkins, join me as I sit down with someone he mentored, Dr. Ben Danielson. I'm here with Dr. Ben Danielson. He's the medical director at the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic, which is part of the Seattle Children's Hospital. Uh, Ben, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. Glad to be here. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? I'm a pediatrician who trained here, went to UW Medical School, and then did my residency training at Seattle Children's Hospital, and then worked in uh, White Center for a couple of years, and then uh, was lucky enough to get the job of the medical director at the Odessa Brown Clinic, which is in the Central District in Seattle. And we're here to talk about a return of the Sonics and and what it would mean to the people of Seattle. And one beneficiary of uh, the Sonics stay here was the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic? Sure. It's uh, first medical director was this amazing powerhouse of a woman named Blanche Levizo, first African-American physician, pediatric physician woman in the Northwest. And um, 
early on in the clinic's time, I think it's second or third year into existence, I think she grabbed uh, a younger Lenny Wilkins by the ear, pulled him into the clinic, showed him what was going on there and said, you have to support this. And then amazingly, ever since, I think that's 45, 46 years in a row now, Lenny Wilkins has been uh, a real strong guardian angel and uh, donor to the clinic and has supported a lot of the work that we do that is especially meaningful, but less part of uh, traditional medical practice. What I mean by that is uh, he helps us uh, put coats on kids' backs who are low income and uh, are freezing in the wintertime. He helps us buy books so that we can encourage literacy and help kids enter school ready to learn and loving to read. He helps us uh, with uh, special programs that help us teach people how to cook more efficiently on a low-income budget. Uh, he's just a, an amazing, amazing benefactor and mentor to uh, people like me. And how has Lenny Wilkins affected your life personally? Um, I, I've described him before as as a bit of a more than a mentor, somewhere close to a father figure to me. I was, um, you know, raised without a, a dad, and so maybe I've maybe this is too much sharing, but I've lived, I've looked up to. His, uh, what he represents as, um, as uh, a man who takes responsibility for the people around him. And so I, I take his spoken and unspoken lessons very seriously, personally. Um, I watch him the way he uh, interacts with, with kids. And um, you would n- never know sort of who he was based on his income or his uh, stardom. When he walks through the clinic, he is this uh, completely selfless man who, um, who, who will kneel down and hang out with any kid who wants to see him, who will shake the hand of any uh, adult who uh, recognizes him, and most of them do, who would uh, never pause to take a call from me when I had a hard day or needed some advice about something, and who would never pause to um, mentor another young person as well. I watched him the other day. I hope I can tell this too uh, quickly, but um, he uh, came to the clinic not to see me, not to see anybody else, but to meet with uh, a young man who was just going into high school, just starting at O'Day, and was making this really hard transition from kind of inner city um, community to a high school that's pretty demanding and is a little bit like Mars if you're from like uh, inner city surroundings. And, um, and the kid was smart and talented and full of great energy and everything, but it really was a hard transition for him to high school. Lenny Wilkins showed up, just, he came there, met up with this young man, spent a couple hours with him talking, and um, man, I could just see that, that that young man was different coming out of that room, and uh, and I think they've even stayed in touch, you know, and that's something more than money or um, photo ops or, um, something to do with stardom. That's, that's a really good person who's looking out for the people around. And what is the mission of the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic? So we serve um, just anybody, regardless of their ability to pay. And we specifically try to serve low-income families. So what that means is four out of five of the kids come through the door are on Medicaid, low-income insurance. Um, it's a really amazingly diverse uh, clinic. The waiting room is like the United Nations. You have uh, African-American kids and kids from the uh, Far East and kids from um, uh, recent immigrant populations like East Africa and uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking families. It's just, it's beautiful. It's amazing. So where is the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic located? 
The clinic's located in the Central District, which was like the historic kind of low-income black community back in the 60s when it first started. And then over time, that Central District, which is, I don't know, if you know Seattle, it's pretty close to Garfield High School. Um, it's become more and more of a medium and now even maybe an upper income neighborhood. So the neighborhood has changed around us, even though we continue to serve low-income families. Can you describe the need that children have for the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic? I don't think anybody would argue too much with the idea that our healthcare system uh, is not perfect. And uh, in different ways, it can leave different people behind. I think that's especially true for low-income families or families who feel kind of pushed to the margins in general. Clinics like ours, and there are a lot of other great clinics in this area as well, we try to fill in those gaps. We try to think about what children really need to succeed and thrive. And one of the great things that we're allowed to do is think about the foundational things, the things under the surface that really impact all of our lifelong health. Those are things like... uh, Um, your ability to uh, buy healthy food, things like your chance to get a healthy education, uh, some of the stressors that might show up in your neighborhood, and some of these other sort of life factors that create a lot of barriers for being healthy. Even if you had the best health care in the world, if you don't have those services, you don't stay healthy. So a clinic like ours is able to kind of try to bridge those gaps. Can you talk about maybe one child or one person that really left a, a mark on you that you've served at the Odessa Brown Clinic? Limit to one? That would be tough. But um, I don't know. I think about well, so many families and kids. We're now kind of a generational clinic. And I'm just far enough along in my career to feel that generational kind of uh, cycle happening. When I first started working, uh, I worked with this very low-income family that uh, had a newborn baby that turned out to have uh, a very, very bad heart condition, not really compatible with long-term life. And um, this family has no resources at all um, and needed a lot of complicated health care. And so, you know, as a primary care doc, I was able to sort of act as a little bit of a bridge and and, an advocate and stomp my foot when I needed to to make sure they got what they needed. And sometimes... um, uh, Appropriately or not, uh, I would toss a a car seat in my car and drive them to their cardiology appointments because otherwise it was a three-hour trip for them. Um, And uh, we kind of grew up together, me professionally and and this young person uh, physically. And eventually she um, outgrew the function of her heart and needed a heart transplant. And we went through, she went through, I sat by her side, um, all of that process of of waiting and hoping in this weird, sad, and hopeful way that a heart would become available, and you know how a heart becomes available, and um, helping her through the post-operative period and the anti-rejection medications and the many uh, different needs she had. And, uh, and I learned, I learned along with her, because in some ways, as complex as her medical issues were, they were actually a smaller part of the challenges that she and her family faced. And while we were dealing with heart stuff and transplant stuff and medical specialists, uh, we also had to figure out how to help this family with basic transportation. And the number of times they were homeless was incredible. And it was equally incredible that I worked in a clinic where social workers knew uh, resources and inroads how to find them at least temporary housing. The number of times that um, 
that their mom had nothing for them for Christmas. It's a small thing, but the chance to offer a child a few gifts at Christmas time, those are things that uh, I think are really precious. And and I learned so much more than they ever got from us. But I'm so thankful for that relationship. She's a she's an older teenager now, and um, she's had some other health complications that have been really hard stumbling blocks in the road. Um, but she's this this beautiful human being who lives in this amazing family, in this resilient community. Like they face things that I think you and I would put us on our knees in about a minute and they do it every day and they thrive and they smile and they love their kids and they raise them as best they can. And it it has this rippling effect because this uh, young woman is now uh, a survivor and a thriver of all of this healthcare needs stuff. She's got two sisters who are going to nursing school and uh, she's got a dad who finally is taking care of his high blood pressure. And she's got a mom whose heart is, is bigger than any heart we ever could have transplanted into this kid. And how many children similar to that have you been able to serve due to the generosity of Lenny Wilkins and the Lenny Wilkins Foundation? The Lenny Wilkins Foundation is transformational and is in every part of that long little story I told. Um, you know, we have a, a wonderful children's hospital with amazing specialty services and all of the kit that you would need to do a good job from a technical expertise perspective. Um, but that's not enough. It's not enough, especially when you're dealing with uh, trying to help low-income communities. Then um, it's hard to get your health care taken care of when you're worried every day about where you're going to sleep or when you don't have enough food or when you don't have the supplies you need to get to school. You just... It's the Maslow's hierarchy thing, right? You can't attend to those, those high specialty needs unless you can take care of the basics. And what the Lenny Wilkins Foundation does is really think about those basics and really ask, sometimes ask me, like challenging questions. What's keeping you from being able to serve families the way you want to? What keeps you up at night? What are the things that you worry about that the healthcare system doesn't provide? It kind of challenges us, our clinic, people like me, with those kinds of questions and pushes me to be innovative and think about how we can do that on some scale and how to start to build that into some broader scale to maybe change the way we think about healthcare systems. And so for people who have had no trouble with the healthcare system uh, and maybe aren't low income, can you help them understand whose lives have really been changed by the Lenny Wilkins Foundation? Generations and generations now. Um, 46 years is... uh, Two plus generations. Uh, we have pictures in our uh, hallways of babies, and um, you know, there's this long row of pictures now. And some of the babies at the left end of the photo wall are the parents of babies at the right end of the fo- photo wall. Uh, that's intergenerational impact. That's thousands of kids. I, I don't know if I could count them all up, uh, but it's also a, a community. It's a whole community of families who um, have built stronger resilience skills. So. Um, we're not just talking about something that sounds like charity. We're actually talking about uh, supporting the inherent strengths and resilience that a lot of us have as individuals and as families. Um, it's allowed, I think, a lot of kids to enter school ready to learn. And um, the simple thing of every time you go to a clinic visit, getting a free book, and starting from birth, actually, and that book being so much a part of your life. Maybe we take it for granted if we grew up around books all the time and had ready access to them. 
but if you haven't, then um, that is a game changer. We know that the literacy exposure that you have uh, is one of the greatest indicators of how well you do in school. And how well you do in school is a better indicator than any other scientific um, uh, intervention that I can think of for how healthy you're going to be over your life. So Lenny Wilkins probably does more to ensure the health of kids throughout their lifespan than I ever could or any other doctor ever could. And for someone who is fortunate enough to never have to use the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic, how does your work affect them? So I would think about that in a couple of ways. Um, one is, uh, I think it's really important for us to, to understand how we are linked to each other, that we are a society, not a bundle of individuals. And so um, if you look at the science, if you look at research, or if you just look around you, what you notice is when your neighbors are healthier, you are healthier, both um, from a mental health perspective and from a physical health perspective. So anything I do to enrich the life of my neighbor, even the neighbor far away that I never meet, is actually also selfish. It also improves my own life. And that's true, according to science, no matter how much money you make. The healthier the community around you, even far away from you but in your area, the healthier you are. So that's important. I think a second thing is um, the, uh, the image and the modeling that somebody like Lenny Wilkins does. And that happens on a few levels. One is he sets a tone that says, it's not enough just for you to make it. And if you ever heard his story, you know, he really would have been one of those kids coming through the doors to our clinic when he was young. Um, it's not enough for you to climb out of poverty and become a success by yourself. That's, he would say, that is not enough in your life. You have to be of service to the people around you. And again, as a pediatrician, I think there's no greater service than uh, looking out for the future of a kid. The other thing is that he sparks that kind of feeling for other people who are up and coming in sports. If you have a city that has a strong sports presence, then that kind of mentorship of up and coming athletes, the ability for them to create foundations and to do their part to support and give back and reaffirm that we are all linked as a society, that is a, that's an ever expanding boundless gift to yours, to your city. I think that's especially important in Seattle because we're really proud, right, of, of our hearts as well as our resources. We think of ourselves as good people, giving people, supportive folks. And um, if you need to live up to that kind of uh, self-image, then you need an image like Lenny Wilkins to show you the way. And so what do you see as the future of the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic? Well, our neighborhood is, uh, has become a lot more um, uh, economically stable, and our mission is to serve those who are uh, really struggling with poverty. So one thing we have to do is uh, expand. So we're trying to build a new clinic, um, something that is accessible through public transportation and much more ex accessible, especially to South Seattle and South King County, where a lot of low-income families have moved. And if somebody's inspired by what Lenny Wilkins has meant to the children that go through your clinic and by the stories of what you're doing, how could they contribute and what would you like to tell them? First, I think the Lenny Wilkins Foundation um, not only supports our clinic, but also supports a lot of other important community building kinds of important efforts that are um, reputable, credible, and are really good investments. So Lenny Wilkins Foundation is a good way if you are less familiar with all of the different um, resources that are needed in communities to really have an entry point into that. 
Um, and then I would maybe start to look around my own neighborhoods and my own community uh, because we all see need in them. And I would think about, uh, it sounds corny to think about what would Lenny do, but I would think about um, what it would be like to be meaningfully impactful in the community around you. And if you needed advice about how to do that well, you had an idea and you wanted to build on it, I think kids need athletic gear. That's what's keeping them from being able to participate in things. Uh, switching gears a little bit, what do you think a return of the Supersonics and the NBA would mean to the city of Seattle? Well, everyone's ha- got their opinion. I think a lot of people feel the way I do that there, there's a wound that never healed in uh, the Sonics being ripped out of our out of, out of our body um, and uh, that there's no substitute uh, for bringing the Sonics back that we need we need the Sonics here. We're uh, a city whose uh, economic power is appropriate for uh, a pro basketball team. I think that we're a city that loves activity, loves sports, loves physical activity. And so I think that makes sense that we would have a, a pro basketball team here. We're a city that uh, sees mentors, sees icons, uh, sees things named after great people. And so we look up to people who do uh, wonderful things. And um, no matter what else you think about things like salaries and um, stardom and pro sports, what they ultimately do create are people that we can look up to. Uh, we need our heroes. We absolutely deserve our heroes. They make us want to be better people. So we, I think we deserve them, uh, a Sonics team for that reason as well. If the Sonics do return and you can get a message to the ownership or to the future players, what would you ask of them? You have to be as good off the court as you are on the court. Uh, that if you're going to accept a paycheck and that kind of recognition, then I think there's a social responsibility that comes with that. You can define that in many different ways, and you should be able to define that the way you want to. But I would say to a team or a team player that um, you your community has invested in you, and you have to invest in this community. And... Um, that can look like mentoring, that can look like doing your favorite camp, that could look like so many different things, but um, we can't just see you on the court. Any concluding thoughts? Seattle is a great, great city. This is an amazing area. I, I actually find myself uh, extra thankful to live here as I, as I think about and see so many other things happening in so many other parts of this country. Um, but it's not a bubble, and it, it can't behave like that. Uh, Seattle is part of a global community, and uh, I think that's wonderful. Um, I also think that uh, it gives us this opportunity to think about who we are as a people more fundamentally than what our day-to-day jobs might drive or what a uh, postcard of the city might show you. Um, We have this chance to think about our souls. I hope that's not too uh, far out there in this kind of conversation, but... We have this chance to think about ourselves on a deeper level. And um, since we have that opportunity, let's dream a little bit. Let's dream about what the Emerald City could do, what, what we could really show the rest of the world, and, and what we could um, represent to each other. Because I think our future is extremely bright. And I think that with people like Lenny Wilkins and with so many other people I respect so much in this city, there's nothing we can't do. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for the work you're doing and helping our, our city's children, and I uh, appreciate hearing your perspective today. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
Before we get to Lenny Wilkins himself, I'd like to remind you of an upcoming event I will be participating in. On April 12th, I will be moderating a panel of speakers about for-profit solutions to non-profit problems. This panel of discussion will take place at the General Assembly downtown Seattle. The hope is to spark discussion and creative ideas about how to tackle some of our community's persistent challenges. The event is free and open to the public. There will be a happy hour sponsored by General Assembly where I'd love to get a chance to meet you. For more information, do a web search for General Assembly Start Something Good. And now for more information on the good that Lenny Wilkins has been able to achieve in Seattle, join me as I sit down with the Hall of Fame player and coach. I'm here at a coffee shop with the legendary Lenny Wilkins, a three-time inductee to the Basketball Hall of Fame as a player, a coach, and an assistant coach of the 1992 Dream Team uh, for the Olympics. He's the first coach of any sport to bring a professional sports championship to the city of Seattle, and he has continued to bring even more to the city with the Lenny Wilkins Foundation for Children. Uh, Lenny, thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure to be here. So let's go back uh, a couple decades. What did it feel like? What did it mean to you to bring Seattle its first championship? Well, it was huge because it had never happened before. And um, it was uh, when I got traded here as a player, uh, this was an expansion team. So no one thought that, uh, that it was anywhere close on the horizon that we would win a championship. But uh, fortunately, uh, when I got the opportunity, I was working in the front office uh, in um, player personnel and I uh, realized uh, what they needed or at least I thought I knew what they needed so far as to become a championship squad so uh, I had actually left Seattle I was traded to Cleveland and I was there for a couple of years and finally I came back I, I spent a year in Portland but I had always liked Seattle so Seattle became the place I wanted to be when I took the job in the front office uh, they had a trade uh, on the horizon for Fred Brown and I stopped the trade. Uh, I told them it wasn't a good deal, I, I didn't like it, and since I was the director of player personnel, I could stop it, so I did. And, um, and then I added a couple of other players to the team. Uh, and uh, they got off to uh, not a very good start that year. They got off to uh, five and 17 and everybody was talking about how bad they were and so forth. And the owner felt like, you know, since I helped put the team together, that maybe I should take over and coach. So I, I could see he was very upset with the with the ball club the way it was going. So I did. I uh, took over the team when they were five or seventeen, and um, we were able to change things around fairly rapidly. I mean, uh, after we won our first game, we had a couple of days for practices, and I talked to the team about what I had envisioned for them, what I thought they could accomplish, you know, how we would have to go about it and so forth. But I really felt like we had the talent. Uh, I just felt like we had to utilize our personnel in a certain way. And once I was able to do that, uh, we went on. Now, we didn't win the championship that year, but we got to the finals. And uh, everyone thought, well, the, they won't get back to the finals again the next year, but we did and we won it. What did it feel like when you came home to the city of Seattle with you and your athletes, your team as champions? Uh, it was a wonderful feeling because, uh, you know, at the, when we got to the airport, there had to be about 30,000 people at the airport. Uh, the parade, there was over 200,000 at the parade. And, yeah, it's, it's a huge accomplishment. I mean, everybody would feel good about it. Uh, the, the city 
uh, it was like a love fest, you know. Uh, sports is the one thing that brings people together. And I don't care what the sport is. If you win in that sport, fans come together, they want to root, they want to cheer, they want to be a part of it. And, uh, and that's the way it was, uh, to come home and have won the championship. Uh, I, you know, to me, it was just a great feeling. Uh, uh, there's nothing to experience like it. And so you've had an unbelievable career in the sport of basketball. What has that sport meant to you personally? Well, the sport of basketball has given me the opportunity to meet people, to go places. I've been all over the world. And, and I find that the one common language is sport. You know, there are two things in the world that the world relates to. Sport and music. I mean, I'm serious. You go anywhere and people relate to it. Uh, they they want to talk about it. They, they want to see you play. And, and so uh, that afforded me that opportunity. You know, I could go anywhere. Uh, you know, I went to places where I just didn't imagine them knowing who I was. I mean, I, I've been to Japan, I've been to Okinawa, Philippines, Guam, I've been to Europe, you know, uh, England. Uh, I, I've, I've been everywhere. And, uh, and I find that uh, people do relate to sports. And, and so, you know, it, it, it's the one common language in the world. And when you were growing up and just playing the sport of basketball for your own passion and fun, did you ever think that you'd be traveling the world like that? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Well, because well, when I was a kid growing up, I mean, I was, uh, I was a street kid, so to speak. I mean, we played stickball, handball, punchball, boxball, stoopball, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, we, we played, uh, if a ball was concerned, we played with it. Uh, the only thing that as a kid that... I always thought about, and that was the Olympics. Now, every kid growing up wants to be a part of the Olympics. There's, you got to believe that there's something you could do. And, and so as a youngster, that, that was the thing that was huge to all of us in the neighborhood, was when the Olympics came around, everybody wanted to know what was happening, who was winning, what was going on about it. So, uh, you know, as a kid, that, that was the thing that I thought about a lot. I was disappointed in college when I didn't make the Olympic team because I thought I should have. But you never know what comes around. And so, uh, you know, years later, uh, I mean, I'm the, the coach, assistant coach of one Olympic team. I'm the head coach of the, the 96 Olympic team. I mean, so opportunity did present itself. And, and, and I went on USO tours where uh, I visited our troops uh, when we were in Vietnam and I had a chance to, to talk with the troops and, uh, and they appreciated us coming over. So here again, it was sport that took me to those places, you know. And so you've gone around, you've given so much uh, to the people of Seattle, not just as an athlete, but as a, a citizen and a, a community member. How did your time as an NBA player and coach in Seattle inspire you to give back so much? Well, it's, uh, the thing was is that when you live in a community, who is it that supports you? It's the community that supports you. And, and I felt that our community had given so much that uh, I wanted to support them. So, you know, how do you give back? And, uh, and there are different ways. 
For me, it was being involved with the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic. Uh, I formed a foundation, and we have a big dinner auction. We raise funds for the Odessa Brown Clinic. Uh, every young person should be entitled to health care. I mean, I believe that. I, uh, for me, it was hard as a youngster because my dad died when I was five, and uh, my mother had to raise us, and so we had to go uh, to uh, St. Mary's Clinic. And, and, and I remember not liking the way we were treated. It was, you know, almost, uh-oh, here comes the Wilkins again. But the thing is, is that when the community can be supportive of its citizens and encourage its young people, uh, I tell young people all the time, or I tell people all the time, they're tomorrow's doctors, lawyers. They're our future. So anytime that we can uh, have a positive influence on young people, we need to do that. Uh, we need to encourage them, let them know they can be successful, that there is somebody that does care about them. And this community has been that way with me. I mean, it uh, has allowed me to grow and develop. And so I wanted to give back, and I wanted my kids to see that and be involved in that. And, and so to uh, give back, I think that you'll see more athletes do it today than ever before because they recognize uh, what a gift they have and that young people look up to them. You know, young people do. They pay attention to what you're doing. They, they want to see if you really mean what you say. And, and I think that uh, we, we live in a complex world today and everybody should be involved to the degree that they can be. And so tell me a little bit more about the Lenny Wilkins Foundation. Uh, what's your mission and, and what are you doing to achieve that mission? Well, our mission as young people is, uh, like I said, I want to make it a better place for them. I want them to feel that they can be successful. And, and so, you know, I, and I tell people a lot of times that uh, if you go in a classroom and you see a kid that doesn't feel well and is not getting the, the, the kind of nourishment or medical care at home, what, is, what do they do when they're in class? They put their head down and go to sleep. They don't learn anything. And, and, and so we need to make sure that that doesn't happen. And uh, so everybody, we, we, we live in a wonderful country. Everybody should be entitled to health care. I'm serious. And, uh, and this gal, Odessa Brown, who started the clinic, uh, she was a single-parent mom, had two kids, and, uh, and she didn't have any place to go. And so she started the clinic. She got a friend of hers who was a, a, a pediatrician, uh, Blanche Lavizio, became the first medical director, and, uh, and she would volunteer two days a week, and eventually they got model cities to give them a place. Uh, they developed a clinic. It grew to be where it is. It became associated with Children's Hospital, and Children's Hospital is another place. You know, a lot of people don't realize that uh, uh, we're among the top five hospitals in the country, Children's Hospital here in Seattle, and that it provides the kind of care that young people need to be successful, you know, uh, and, and, and so that when you can do that, you know, to me it's special. Uh, it's, it's special giving back to young people. And, you know, I, I know I repeat myself when I say they are tomorrow's doctors, lawyers. They're tomorrow's heroes. And so when we can, we need to pay attention. And what accomplishment of the Lenny Wilkins Foundation here in the Seattle area are you most proud of? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of things we've been able to do. We've been able to not only give to the Odessa Brown Clinic, but we give to homeless kids. Uh, you know, we try to provide for them. 
um, and uh, we, we get involved with various things that affect young people throughout the city. And uh, I have a great medical director named uh, Bridget Graham, and she and I attend a lot of functions that are for young people, for the benefit of young people. And, uh, you know, this, this is my home. You know, I didn't grow up here, but I made it my home. My kids have grown up here. They're a part of this community. And, and we're very proud of this community. I, I think it stands out. Uh, I've been a lot of places, and there's no place like here. And if somebody wanted to, if somebody buys into your mission of helping the children and wanted to get involved or contribute to the Lenny Wilkins Foundation, what would you ask of them and how could they give that to you? Well, I, I tell them, first of all, uh, we have a website. They can go on the website and see everything that we do. And it's LennyWilkinsFoundation.org. And, and so when you go on, if you, you will see all the things that we have accomplished, you know, uh, with young people in the city of Seattle. And uh, we'd love for them to be involved, to give back, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's a way of, uh, like I said, encouraging our young people, letting them know that they can make a difference. They really can. And going back to the, your time with the Sonics, what is your most memorable experience? What do you, if you had to pick one moment or feeling what is most memorable from your time well, with the Sonics organization? I, I don't know if I have one. <laughs> it's a lot to you ask. Know, it's a, it's a, I've, I've been very fortunate. I've been very blessed. You know, when I got traded here as a player, it was because the St. Louis Hawks and I had a contract problem, and I refused to sign. So I got traded back then, and I wound up with the Sonics, who were an expansion team. And I was here one year, and they asked if I would be a player coach, which was kind of crazy, and I... I never forget telling the general manager, it was a guy named Dick Vertley, I told him, you're out of your mind. And he felt I could do it. He felt I could be successful. You know, he felt like it was something you do already. You run the team, you know. And, and so I decided to try it. And, uh, and, and I had success with it. I mean, I, uh, the players listened. They wanted to be good. They wanted to be better. You know, uh, I understood the game uh, very well. Um, and uh, so uh, what happens is that as you go along and you have success with things, it makes impressions on you, you know. I mean, I learned a lot of things along the way, but uh, I don't know if there's any one thing. But uh, I, And I tell young people all the time, I say, well, a couple of things I'll tell you. One is you have to be consistent, okay. You've got to be confident and you've got to be consistent. You've got to believe in what you do. And, and so to the point where the players believe in what you do, okay? They're watching. Uh, they want to see how you handle situations. And, and so for me, uh, being consistent, they saw that consistency all the time, okay, that I was going to be ready. And I said all coaches have to, preparation is very important. You know, uh, you, you have to have your team prepared so that when it steps on the floor, it can react to whatever the situation is. And those were important things for me. I, I, I was not a guy who got down. Uh, I'm a very confident person. I, uh, I feel like I can make a difference. And I learned that early in my career. I had a, a priest friend of mine from my parish, uh, a guy named Tom Mannion, who... Uh, when we were youngsters, you know, uh, I'd get a little frustrated and 
my mother would ask him to watch out, you know, that out because she was afraid I'd be hanging out with the wrong guys. <laughs> and uh, but if he saw me a little agitated or upset, you know, he'd ask me what's going on, and he'd talk. We'd talk, and and then he would say to me, you know, because uh, I knew I'd let certain things kind of piss me off, and he say, well, who promised you? Did somebody promise you that life was going to be easy? Or that it was a cake war? You know, and he said that uh, you should never, never be afraid to start over again. You know, and, and, and it started to make sense to me as a youngster. So, you know, I, I'll never forget his words about who promised you, okay? No one promises you anything in life, you know? You have to make the difference. You, you have these memories of the supersonics, and there's a potential that they might return. What are your thoughts on a return of the supersonics to the city of Seattle? I think that um, it would be tremendous for the sonics to return. You know, I, I tried to speak one time. I spoke to city council a few years ago, and, and I kind of mentioned the fact that, you know, the uh, sport is good for the city. It brings people together. It brings harmony. You know, people enjoy going to watch the game. Uh, these young athletes make their homes in your city. Their kids go to school. They pay taxes. They become viable citizens. So how could you not want that? You know, uh, to me, um, I uh, tell young people all the time, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking part in sports. It teaches you to make decisions. Anyone that takes part in sport, I don't care what the sport is, ping pong, whatever, you got to make a decision, okay? And that's wonderful for young people. So uh, this, this is a tier one city. We're the gateway to the West. And how could you not? I mean, I remember years ago going to a lot of these places. And today, if you go, basketball is huge. In all these cities, sport is huge. And so what would you ask of future Sonics players and coaches if the NBA does return to Seattle? To carry themselves so that where Seattle's very proud of who they are, that they reside here, okay? I think that's so important. And, uh, and I think that that makes for a better place to live. You know, I think that young people as they establish themselves, then once you get established, you're in a position then to give back to the community. And I think that our young people need motivation. They need people to talk to them about living their lives, okay, about taking care of themselves. And we need to set examples. And what better way than to have athletes do it? Any concluding thoughts? Uh, no, I just, uh, I hope that it happens. Uh, I, I'm hoping it happens before I leave here. I'd, I'd like to be a part of it a little bit, you know. Uh, I, I think that, like I said, Seattle's a great, great city. And we, we can't keep missing the boat on it, you know. Uh, they were tremendous fans when we were here. And it's unfortunate that what happened happened. But I would say that... Uh, if we establish a team here again, we need to make it better than ever. And so I said concluding thoughts, but you've said one thing I just want to follow up. And so what, how would you like to be involved uh, if the Sonics returned? Well, I, I'd, I'd like to consulting or uh, maybe uh, broadcasting, uh, doing uh, radio or TV. I think that would be fun. 
Uh, I think that I have a lot that I could give because I know the game. And, uh, you know, and I think it would be fun to do that. I, I don't want a full-time job where I had to be there every day. But certainly I think that I could help uh, because I know talent. And I, it's been a gift. And when I helped put the first Sonic team together, I think I made good decisions on selecting uh, talent that, that would benefit our uh, franchise. Lenny, thank you so much for joining me. It was really nice sure. to meet you and hear your perspective. All right. Thank, thank you. you. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Inspired by Dr. Danielson or Lenny Wilkins, I have a unique request of you. If you have time to do something good for the community, snap a picture and share on social media using hashtag live like Lenny. Whether it is bringing food to a food bank, bringing clothes, blankets, or supplies to a shelter, cleaning trash from a public space, or volunteering with a religious or secular organization, please show the ripple effect our positive role models can have. Use hashtag LiveLikeLenny and find me on Twitter at Prof Shulman. I am eager to see how you can live like Lenny. We are nearing the end of this second season of Seattle Growth Podcast, but there is a lot of excitement ahead. Still to come on this season is an interview with Chris Hansen himself. And next week, you'll hear from Lance Lopes of the Oakview Group, who will be submitting a proposal to renovate Seattle's key arena. You know, we believe that, that this project could be completed in three or four years. And also Brian Surratt, the director of Seattle's Office of Economic Development. He is overseeing the proposal process. Key Arena presents itself as a really unique opportunity, um, given its history. We've had basketball there. We've had music events there. It's part of a new emerging downtown neighborhood that um, has a lot of the amenities that people want uh, when they talk about a, uh, an urban experience. So we're excited about the opportunity. Seattle Growth Podcast is all about bringing you diverse perspectives on complex issues facing the city. If you are enjoying learning from these multiple angles, please take a moment to rate the podcast in iTunes. Your feedback helps others find the podcast and become more informed about key issues facing us all. I am Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast.